0: Very good evening to all. Uh, Let's pray together. I'm going to base an opening prayer on the first few words in the book of Galatians. Moment's quiet and I'll lead you in a prayer. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. May this evening we receive grace from you. May this evening we receive your peace and appreciate once again all that our Lord Jesus gave for each one of us. In his dear name we pray. Amen. I would encourage you to have your Bibles open, page 185, as we continue our reflections Uh, on Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. I was minded to give one or two words of introduction, and interestingly, as I was reflecting on this passage, and as we've read it just now, they fall out quite neatly with the first few verses that we've just read from Galatians chapter 3. So, without further ado, notice by way of introduction before we launch into what I believe is the heart of this passage, notice Paul's candor. You foolish Galatians who have bewitched you. At the start of the epistle, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul is astonished. We had reference to that wonderful phrase in the Greek, Meganoito, God forbid that you should be thinking like this. The temperature is raised even higher towards the end of the letter. Well, if you're going to think like that, I wish you would just go and emasculate yourself completely. You foolish people, I'm astonished, God forbid. It's the complete opposite of a friendly vicar's tea party. <laughs> chink, chink, chink. More tea, Vicar? Oh, yes, please. And could I just, oh, those cucumber sandwiches, delightful with the crust cut off. Lovely saucer, the raised right finger, well practiced and versed. Notice Paul's candor. Notice, secondly, of course, reference to the cross. Again, in verse 1, it was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. Way, way after the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, A.D. 33, a historical event, this demonstration of the public demonstration of Jesus Christ's death came through the life of the Christian apostles, came through the life of preaching of the early church. The NIV has a different translation. The cross was publicly displayed for you In the NIV it was, the cross was clearly portrayed for you, perhaps like a work of art. Whether this was in mind of the Church of England's liturgical committee with their eight different Eucharistic prayers, each of them of course refer to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they're portrayed and all that he does for us in at least eight different ways and prayers. The nationally superb exhibition Seeing Salvation out a few years ago produced a wide resource across the Christian world and in fact the non-Christian world. Seeing Salvation had a public portrayal of the death of Jesus in many, many hundreds of ways. However Paul did it, and there's a very interesting book called The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross. However Paul and the apostles did it then, the church grew through the public proclamation and a clear demonstration, a portrait, a display of the cross of Christ, clearly demonstrated to the church in Galatians. That's how it was formed. Notice the candor of the argument. Dear me, you've forgotten all about this. Notice the cross, the sense in which the argument was made. It's there for you. Notice too the content of the argument. This will be a relatively short sermon, but actually Paul's argument was quite lengthy. Perhaps even carrying on all the way through to chapter 4. He almost takes a breath and says at the start of chapter 4, actually, thank you for listening so far, and my point is this. All the way through, his one main argument is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm astonished that you've forgotten it. Someone's bewitched you. And if you really want to know what I think, this is what you should do uh, with those who are leading you astray. Someone has said that uh, sermonettes produce Christianettes. Good, solid arguments at which you are convinced this is how to live your life will stand you in good stead. With no accusation or chide intended, I do have concerns as a Christian pastor and teacher, about the lack of frequency with which people want to put themselves together to hear God's Word, to come under its teaching and say, I need this to grow in faith. We will water the whole thing down. We will only have ourselves to blame unless we keep hearing God's Word explained, expounded, and listened to. Three things emerge in this particular part of the argument that comes in Galatians uh, chapter 3. I'm going to refer to each of them in turn, to the Spirit, to the blessing, and to the sense of freedom that we have in Christ. But by way of illustration, I'm indebted to Tom Wright for highlighting this uh, interesting illustration to try and get in, inside the minds of what was happening in those churches in Galatians all those years ago. Apparently, Charles Blondin was famous, as I'm sure some of you know, for walking across the Niagara Falls on a type rope. Of course, he had the help of this great stick and he would traverse along the type forward. And then to draw added attention and fear, he did it backwards. And then there are one or two brave souls, you need to maybe block your ears at this point if you're not good with heights or feeling a little bit giddy or seasick as this illustration goes forward, who wanted a ride with him on his back. And along the tight road he went, Charles Blondin Halfway across, imagine this stupidity if you've been brave enough to say, yeah, I'll give this a go. Quick fairground ride, I'm sure I get out. Ice cream afterwards. Whoa, I enjoyed that. Well, do you know what? I don't think I trust you anymore. Could I just get off, please, now and carry on on my own? Astonishing, completely foolish, and of course would never happen. But in Paul's day, he's writing to the church in Galatia something's amiss. The cross has been forgotten, something's been added in, and as we'll see later, it doesn't add to their life at all, it detracts from it. Paul's argument continues, notice without the cross, something of your life in the spirit is going to disappear. Verse 2. What I really would like to learn from you more tea vicar is could you just explain to me in a moment when I finished my cucumber sandwich and you finished yours of course. I don't mean to hurry hurry you but how did you learn the things of the spirit? Did you get the things of the spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? He makes reference to the spirit again in verse 3. Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? And not just the inner work of the Spirit, the real sense that you know God is with you, that you're glad you trusted Christ, and there is actually an internal difference within you that gives you that sense of motivation and spiritual spring in your side that this is true, I'm glad, I'm following Jesus. To smile on your face. It's sunshine in your soul. It's the Spirit. It makes life worth living for you. And that wonderful sense that actually God turns up for others in incredible, miraculous ways. It's there in verse 5. Well, then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Paul, of course, is chiding them. Do you want to take a step off the tightrope? If you really are going to do that, you'll fall and you'll lose that sense of inner poise and spiritual blessing and power will go out from your ministry because you're doing something else other than the sense of the cross. We were reminded last week of that wonderful verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Perhaps if we're losing that sense of companionship and fellowship, the sweetness of soul, the lightness of spirit, All is well with me. Perhaps even if there is a sense in which you don't feel you've accomplished anything significant and powerful for God. I wonder what law is at work within you. Are you still looking deeply to hold on to Christ and recognize that it's in him are found all the good treasures of God. All you need to live for him. Paul carries on with this argument And says, actually, if you're wanting to step off the tightrope, let go of the cross, something else will happen to your life. You'll lose the blessing. Paul makes reference to what Jews would know frequently, many times over, the blessing of Abraham. Notice there at this particular point in the argument, it's mentioned for the first time, it's there in verse 6, verse 7, verse 8 and verse 9. I'll mention just a few. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see that we believe those who are descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declaring the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. The blessing came to Abraham, not for Abraham's sake, but for the sake of the Gentiles. The blessing of the cross came to the Galatian Christians, not for them, but for the blessing of others. The blessing of the cross comes to us, not just for us, but for the sake of others. Is there that sense in which blessing from us two others is somehow missing. It happened in the church in Galatia. That's why Paul's argument was so candid. That's why Paul's argument was so focused on the cross. That's why Paul's argument was so sustained. Notice what was happening in chapter 5, verse 15. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another, springing off the back of the second commandment, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The blessing of the cross is always meant under God to be a blessing that exteriorizes itself. It's always meant to flow out to others. If the cross comes out of the equation, all that will happen is there will be no outward-facing exteriorization. You'll go inward, you'll look to each other, and instead of looking out, you'll bite and devour each other. Candor indeed. Whilst it's metaphorical language, I was interested that my wife, Alison. Uh, uh, submitted herself to a day-long first aid course and we were talking about the results of this because whilst we're both dog lovers, I didn't know one of the illustrations that came out in this professional training was that actually it's not—it's worse to be bit by a human being than a dog. Now, I'm not advocating you go out and experiment this, okay? Metaphorical language as soon as the Christian church stops looking out for each other, as soon as it becomes ghettoised and lives for itself, what happens then will happen now, backbiting, not literally biting each other, but will be consumed by each other. I'm sure as we hold on to the cross, we want the blessings we've received in life to be transmitted to others And then Paul mentions not just the Spirit, we'll lose that. Not just the blessing for others, we'll lose that. But he mentions something that actually could quite literally eat us up and pull us down even to the most gravest of places, the curse. It's a new word that Paul brings into the argument at this time. But the law does not rest on faith, verse 12. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. As soon as you look away from the cross, as all you need for yourself, all you need for yourself to be with God to receive his goodness and peace and grace, you will find that something else will come and hinder you. Something else will come and curse you. Something else will come and bite you and pull you down. Of course, the marvellous fact of the Christian gospel is that all that would pull us down, all that we might struggle with, somehow Christ has taken that in himself and because he died and rose again and the life we now live in the body while we live by faith in the Son of God transferred all to him, we can be freed from these things. The law then was particularly complicated. Gentiles and Jews weren't getting on so well. The Jews felt actually probably the Gentiles are having it easier and so actually we'll slap the law on them and somehow we'll gain an upper hand. It all got quite difficult to understand. And sadly today there's all sorts of power play, internal dysfunction in people's lives that mean they're not grounded or rounded or trusting in the grace and goodness of God. Without that we literally will be cursed. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. One of the most intriguing people in the Gospel narratives we heard reference last week to the lady with a hemorrhage who just touched Jesus and the healing happened immediately. The other intriguing person, to, to draw by way of illustration, to say that the cross is, Is all we need. We need not be drawn down or cursed by anything else. Is of course the person to the right of the man in the middle on the cross. The thief who at that moment of death was with Christ in paradise. So if you ask that question, which has been asked before, what do you say when you get to heaven if you die? and someone says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? If in any sense, we're tempted to answer in the first person, well, well, I've done this. I've done that with my life. I've struggled with that, but there's this, and, and I've got this as well. It's never ever the first person. Think of the thief on the cross, who at the moment of his death, was there in heaven? Why should I let you into my heaven? Says the person at the gates. I just want to check this out. You've been in church every week, you've never done anything wrong, uh, you've you studied the Bible, you have, of course, preached some good sermons, y- you're okay at praying. And the thief on the cross would say, well, no, (laughs) I'm afraid I can't say anything. Well, Well, why are you here then? He said I should be. We always answer in the third person. Whatever the law of life is that's cursing you or dragging you down, one day we will be there because of him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The life I live in the body, now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Of course, it's hard every day to hold on to Jesus and to look to him for all we need. But if you don't want to astonish people, if you don't want to depress people, if you want to live a life which is a blessing to others, if you want to live a life that's completely free, if you want to live a life where there's that sense of sweetness in your soul and power coming out to others, then Paul would say, look to him. Look to Jesus. This evening... That sense of inner spiritual poise. That sense of blessing to other people. That sense of release for whatever might hold you back, that you might feel in life you're cursed and hampered by. Memories or things done to you. Or things you know in your heart you're never going to achieve, but you just stupidly keep on trying. Jesus loves you. Uh, the tea party is coming to an end. I, I really do have to go now. I'm on to something else. Interestingly, this particular section of the argument, Paul summarises it before he heads off again. That blessing of the Spirit that's ours, that sense that it will come to others, and that sense that we'll be free. Notice there at the conclusion of Galatians chapter three, partway through verse 13. And to read verse 14, they're all there. The curse, Abraham, and the gift of the Spirit. Let me read it to you quietly and thoughtfully. And as you hear these words, perhaps pray as we will do later. Spirit of God, because of Jesus, come to me. Make me a blessing to others because of Jesus. And may I be set free because of Jesus. It's never, ever all about you. It is indeed all about him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to others so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith in the third person, in the middle man, in Jesus. A moment of stillness and I'll lead you in a prayer. May Jesus Christ, the crucified Son of God, the risen one, may he who has been proclaimed this night live in our hearts by faith. Renew us each day by your Spirit. Cause us to be a blessing to others. And set us free even this night to live for you each and every day. To the glory of the one who died on the cross, the man in the middle, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.